I have good news for me. Uh, we're not going to do question and answer this week. Um, so you can, uh, you know, just be, if you're on your phone, maybe you're on your Bible. We're going to be in Philippians 2 uh, today, so you can turn on your Bible or open up to Philippians 2. Um, I'd like to let you know, like, what we're doing. If, you're, if this is your first week of the Vine or it's been a while, we're in the middle of Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is the, the verses where we're going to be at. But we've been in Philippians for about six weeks or so. We're going to be in Philippians through the spring. And the intention we have as a, as a preaching team is not to just take, you know, a few verses out of context, although useful, like these verses are amazing today, uh, but to understand the context of the whole letter that Paul has written to the Philippian church. That's why it's called Philippians. It's a letter to that church. And uh, the, the, the message so far has been, if you've been, you know, sort of following, or even if you haven't, here's a brief recap. Paul really loves this Philippian church. He loves these people. He's been enduring, like, prison and he just loves these people. He wants to encourage them to be unified. You see, in their day and age, it would have been controversial to have different political affiliations. It might have been controversial to associate with different types of people. And I know that's very foreign to us. That doesn't seem to apply in 2022, does it? Of course not, right? This is, <laughs> Philippians is, is timeless, this, this, this text that uh, we have. And so what we're going to find today is that Paul is going to be urging unity in the face of, of division. Um, I know some of you are note-takers. I can see you already got your pen. And, hey, note-taking people, get excited because I have spoilers. Uh, spoilers. I have a, we've, we've been in city groups sort of addressing Scripture by looking at the main idea and intended response. And so I, I'm just going to give you the main idea and then the intended response up here. The main idea of what we're going to read today is Jesus' divine humility means he gets the glory. That's the main idea of the text. And what does it mean for us? What's Paul's intended response for his people? It's that we, in the Philippian church, and we will humbly serve one another in unity. Before we get into this, though, I do want to ask a question. Um, David Jordan warned me against football analogies. Uh, but I do have to ask a question. How many of you have ever heard of, by show of hands, have ever heard of the name Patrick Mahomes? You heard of Patrick Mahomes? Great. Okay, a lot of, about half of the room. Very, very good quarterback. He, was, he won the Super Bowl in 2020 with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the face of, like, high V, uh, head and shoulders. Isn't there something else he's this much? State Farm? Oh, that dude. <laughs> uh, he, he's a uh, very peak of his career, like or maybe not quite at the peak, but he's arguably the, the top quarterback in the NFL since Tom Brady retired. He, he's either, Patrick Mahomes is either number one or number two after, of course, a really valuable quarterback in the NFC North. And of course, I'm talking about Justin Fields. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. And before you throw me out, just remember that this is a sermon about humility. And as a Bears fan, I've been humbled many times. So... So, or that joke aside, bad one. <laughs> the only one I got. But we're going to look at Jesus' divine humility. Like, Patrick Mahomes is, is somebody who we all sort of aspire to if we're, if we're in the world of football, at least. His jersey was the number three selling jersey this past season. Like, people want to be him. They want to, you know, embody him in some way, shape, or form. Why wouldn't you want to enable or embody, uh, embody greatness? Why wouldn't you want to embody greatness? But how about this name? I, I'm going to give you a different name. How many of you have heard of the name Laurent Duvarney Tardif? 
Laurent Duvarnay Tardif. One, two. David Erebus, you don't know him? Laurent Duvarnay Tardif? I'm, I'm shocked, actually. I was, I was picturing you raising your hand in my head. Uh, Laurent Duvarnay Tardif, uh, he's also a player on the Kansas City Chiefs who won the Super Bowl in 2020. He was drafted in 2014 out of Canada, and he is six foot five, 300 pounds, played right guard for 14 games. Okay, now we got it. <laughs> he played uh, right guard for the Kansas City Chiefs. And why his name is, maybe unfamiliar, but you might know of him, is because in 2020, he decided to sit out the NFL season. You see, in his 24, between 2014 and 2018, in the offseason, he got an MD. That's pretty cool. He got, a, he got a medical degree. And in, uh, at the advent of the pandemic, of course, we can take ourselves back two years and recognize he, he became an orderly in a long-term care facility. He, he hadn't finished his residency. So he's going back to Canada to serve in the medical field. It's inspiring. It's inspiring. And he won Sportsman of the Year by Sports Illustrated. That's an award they give out. That's, that's, it's something that I think that we understand as a society is valuable as humility. Like, that's, that's what I, I'm picturing uh, as we address humility. Now, we, by our default, aspire to greatness. In our hearts, we know that we value humility, but which do we pick on a daily basis? If I'm honest, and I'm guessing if you're honest too, we all aspire to, to greatness. But how can we learn to be humble, as that's what the Savior is going to call us to? So let's pray before we begin. Uh, God, these words are so powerful in Philippians 2. I ask that they would uh, rend our hearts today to uh, give you glory. Lord, I ask that you would increase in this space, and that we would decrease, that your will would be done here. May we, may we learn from your word what you're calling us to learn today. And may it all be in worship of you, and may you get the glory. Amen. All right, note takers, hopefully you got these notes down. I also have an outline slide for you, too. Because <laughs> uh, I want I to go through our, our scripture. Um, but, but actually, before we, get, before we do the outline, let's read the scripture. That would be wise to do. Um, we're going to start, even though our text is 5 through 11, I want to ramp up into 5 through 11 by covering a little bit of ground we covered last week. So let's read verses 3 through 4 first. Paul writes to this church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Paul is giving that whole bit right there of count others more significant than yourselves. And how is Paul going to really inspire people to count others more significant than yourselves. What example is he going to give? Well, he can give no better example than what, what follows in 5 through 11. Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
this amazing text. Um, when, I, when I found out that this was the text I got, I, there's a million different ways to go with how this text is laid out. It's, it's beautiful. It's worth, it's worth memorizing uh, to keep in your heart as you go through life. But as I, as I look at this, as, sort of, as I'm planning out, how is Paul going to inspire humble servitude out of all of us for the sake of unity? Here's the outline I came up with. First, we're going to look at Jesus' divinity. Then we'll look at Jesus' humility. Then we'll look at Jesus' glory. I felt really pastor-like as I came up with those three. <laughs> and then lastly, we'll look at application for our lives. So let's dive in. Jesus' divinity, Jesus' humility, Jesus' glory, and then finally we'll apply it to our lives. Verses 5 through 6. Let's go there. Verses 5 through 6. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this is laying the groundwork for why he's going to be speaking about or writing about what he's writing about. And we're going to have to come back to verse 5, I think, at the end, as to what our mind should be like. But this is saying, hey, pay attention. Have this mind among yourselves. Or some of your translations say, let your mind be like that. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the form of God. And that's, a bit, that's, that's kind of a strange phrasing. If you look in the Bible at Paul's letters, you'll see he's, he says, like, Jesus was in the image of God. But this is a little different. He says he's in the form of God. Or your trans- anybody got a translation that says was in nature God or was by nature God? This is a very strong, strong claim to Jesus' divinity. What this means is that Jesus is the form of, of the God, of God, capital G, God. This is very strange. It's worth marveling at this. And we could talk about incarnational Christology today, uh, but I don't think that's what this sermon's going to be about, given my notes and <laughs> the fact that I don't think that's what Paul's exactly driving at. It's worth our time to think about that, though. Like, how could, how could there be a, a way in which Jesus is a man and also God? I mean, my nine-year-old asks me all the time, like, how could he be God and man? It's a great question. And I always have a, an answer, but I, don't, I always feel like it, it, it's, it's going to be a mystery that I don't think we fully solve. But if we, look at, if we spend time spinning wheels in form of God, I think we might miss part of what Paul is trying to communicate. Because look at what it says in verse 7. Um, we don't have to go there on the slide. You can just look, like, let your eyes glance down. It says that he takes the form of a servant. So he's in the form of God. He's in the form of a servant. And the reason why Paul is giving us these two phrasings, almost exactly the same, is so that we can see the contrast we can see the contrast of how Jesus is fully God and then becomes fully servant. And it, it, we need to understand how this transition happens. In my mind, there's this, this, this great chasm in between who Jesus is and who he humbled himself to be. So what does it mean? We should spend time thinking about what does it mean that he was in the form of God then? If we're going to understand his humility, what are, what are the heights? What does it mean that Jesus is in the form of God? And then this may sound like a dumb question, but what is God? Like, I, I don't think that we should shy away from defining who God is. It may seem strange in a church, but 
Uh, maybe we take for granted the, who, who God is. And there's lots of definitions. Uh, the definition that my family has been working with out of the New City Catechism um, is that God is the creator of everyone and everything. God is the creator of everyone and everything. Uh, it takes all of my heart not to sing that in sing-songy mode <laughs> as we've memorized it. Um, so what does that mean? Okay, Jesus is in the form of God. God is the creator of everyone and everything. This means that however we conceptualize the universe, God is outside of that. And this, this is a blow in my mind even today. After, you know, weeks and weeks of preparing for this, conceptualizing the universe and then thinking about God being outside of it. He creates everyone and everything. However you conceptualize the universe, God created it. It's amazing. It's a big thought. It's, this, is, this is a bold claim that there is a God, and furthermore, that Jesus is in the form of God. We have to understand this infinitude, and it's really, it starts to get into territory that maybe, I don't know, if, if I'm the only one in here who ever has doubts, I, I, don't, I hope I'm not. <laughs> I, I, that might disqualify me from being up here. But I have doubts on a week-to-week basis. Like, what are we doing here? Is there a God? Um, and just to, just to reassure you, if, if you ever have those thoughts, there are answers. There, there, is, there are places you can go. Um, I actually, just as a kind of an aside from the sermon, I've been reading this book. It's called Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't. It's by Gavin Ortland. Zach had Gavin on the Vine Conversations podcast this summer. And this is a book about apologetics. It's a, you know, a field, of, field of Christianity where you're trying to prove um, through logic and you know, science and various other means uh, that there is a God and, and proof of God. And so if, you're, if, you're, if that's ever something that you struggle with, just know that there are people out there like you. And I would love to chat with you about it or even let you borrow this book if you can deal with how much I highlight in there. So Jesus is in the form of God. He's divine. We should marvel at this. Understanding his divinity is going to allow us to understand true humility. But also in verse 6, at the end there, doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped? A thing to be grasped. This is always, this, I've, I've known the scripture for a while. It's been in my heart for years and years. And this part doesn't always, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like, what does that even mean? How could you grasp equality with God? Well, Jesus is in the form of God, so he could have grasped it. But there, there are different stories of how this plays out. Um, you know, Jesus resisting temptation. Satan comes to him and says, you know, bow down to me and I'll have the world bow down to you. And that's not what Jesus does. But there's actually a story that, um, if I go back to uh, Laurent Duvarnay-Tardif, that NFL player, there's a story about him that I, I really that struck me as I was reading about what he chose to do. So this, this football player wins the Super Bowl in 2020, in early February 2020. And in the, in the article uh, from Sports Illustrated about him, it, it talks about how he was on, you know, after a few weeks of celebrating and, you know, after the Super Bowl, I'm guessing there's, like, busyness for a few weeks. This guy is in the Caribbean on a boat on a three-week vacation or something on February 28th, 2020. Take yourself back two years from, from today, by the way. What a great place to be, right? Could you, could you imagine being on a boat in the Caribbean uh, uh, that day and then like for three weeks? And 
that's a great place to survive <laughs> in, in the early, early onset of, of quarantine lockdowns and everything. Uh, but what this guy does is he ends his, he keeps, on, he keeps track of the news, ends his vacation early, gives up this comfort, gives up this spot that I'm sure all of us would have loved <laughs> to have, gets on a plane back to Canada, quarantines for two weeks, and then starts his job as an orderly. That's amazing. That, to me, that's amazing uh, that, that this guy would choose comfort, like away from comfort and humble himself. And I, that, the analogy breaks down, and <laughs> there's comparisons here. You might wonder if I'm comparing this guy to Jesus. But I really think his, his uh, actions help me understand how Jesus didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's obedient, and he's coming to us. And that's the transition to the next section. We've just talked about Jesus' divinity. That's what Paul is claiming here. Jesus is divine. Let's look at his humility. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. The Greek word, for anybody who's playing with Greek Bible bingo, is kenosis, in case you're curious. Uh, kenosis means emptying oneself. And it's been a source of contention for centuries in, in church theology. Like, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? It kind of goes in the same thoughts as, like, could God himself make a tree so large that he couldn't cut it down? Like, how does one empty oneself? Um, and these are worthwhile thoughts. That's a different topic for a different sermon for a different day. But what does it mean that he emptied himself? Well, it means that he gave up of his privilege, but not of his identity, not of his attributes. He gave up of his, of his status to be obedient. I'm sorry I keep going back to this NFL player, but when this guy's an orderly and, like, clipping people's toenails and cutting their hair and cleaning their beds... He's still six foot five and 300 pounds. He still is massive, right? He's still who he is, despite giving up his privilege. Jesus gives up of divine to be obedient, born in the likeness of men. Now that has struck me over the last few days, being born. I imagine if I was writing the story, scripture, if I was taking the place of God and putting this all to pen, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was just like fully man, like descended from heaven? People would believe that. If he was, you know, 30 years old, descends from heaven as a fully grown man, no, he's born. He needs to be changed. He needs to be cared for and fed. Born in the likeness of men comes complete humility. What's more humbling than that? He empties himself of his divine privilege take the form of a servant, humbling himself. He's obedient in his life. He's obedient in the way that he lived, too. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably something we overlook, I do all the time, that Jesus was born in the first century in, like, ancient Israel. That, I would not want to trade places with somebody, like, who was born in that time, right? I'm kind of comfortable in this century. But Jesus was born when it, in a time when it was way more dangerous to be Born, right? It, it, this is an area, an era of history where he was he was in 
born into a family that was not well off, right? A carpenter family. He wasn't born to a family of priests in the capital city. He's born in the outskirts. He wasn't born in 1990 where he could uh, have like gone on social media to expand the kingdom, right? That would be an interesting way to write that story, but that's not how the story's written. The story's written that Jesus was humble, born in the likeness of men when he was born. And further, this just keeps going further for me, the, the layers of this, that he's obedient and humbly, humbling himself to the point of death. Again, Jesus doesn't descend from heaven as a fully grown man, right? He doesn't just ascend, like, peace out, this is great. I'm, I'm descending to heaven now. At the transfiguration, he doesn't leave. He stays. He comes to us. To the point of death. And not dying, we all die, right? He doesn't die as an old man, peaceful, on his deathbed, surrounded by his friends. It's like the opposite. He dies I, I, Paul here is, I don't know if anybody seems like this, uh, anybody else, this seems maybe redundant, that point of death, even death on a cross, like not just dead, even death on a cross, there's this extra little bit that Paul includes because, I mean, there's a lot we could say about death on a cross, how painful it is, that, you know, there, there are ways to go that route with this, this passage. But in preparation, what struck me is not necessarily just the physical pain of enduring death on a cross, but the shame, the public shame. Death on a cross involved being, I mean, Jesus is crucified on a hill. He's crucified on a hill. Everybody can hear your cries. Everybody knows that you're crucified. And, and often this is done on like a main road, a main thoroughfare, so that the Romans did this so that when people, you know, passed by, they would see this criminal hanging up there and would think, sheesh, like that's part of the punishment for this person. It's like being crucified at, you know, State Street in the Capitol, like right down there in public view. Everybody can see, and you're there for often days. Your body left. Shameful. And he was obedient. He's obedient to that point. Jesus, this form of God who undertakes to humble himself to full humility. I mean, the basis of humility, like the word humility is associated with humiliation, Right? He goes, fully God, full humiliation. We have to understand this in order to understand how this impacts us. And right now, this is like the saddest story. Like, why? Why would you do that? Why would, why would God, why would, why would this triune being who has loving triune relationship be born in the likeness of, of human to humble himself and die. That's, it sounds awful. This is an awful story unless we continue. Unless we continue and then it becomes the greatest story. We look at verse 9. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Therefore. So I want to pause there. Therefore, if you've been around the Bible, you know, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? We have to look at this. What the therefore, this is a key word. This is the turning point. Therefore, so this, this sad, sad story of being in the form of God and becoming fully in the form of a servant. Why? Why would that happen? Therefore, all of that happens because God is going to exalt him. God highly exalted him. In his humility, God exalts him so that his name is above every 
name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is amazing text. I don't, I don't know what else to like. This is, this is such good news. This is such good news for you and for me. The fact that, I mean, it was necessary that Jesus was fully divine in order for this to be meaningful for us. Like, G- Jesus endures this ultimate humiliation such that we won't. His name is above every name. Not ours, but his name is above every name. And if you go to Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 10, you can go there now. And, I, mean, I might have it down here, but it's, it's about how uh, Jesus... His death is once and for all. His humiliation was once and for all. This is for us. This is the gospel message. That if you, I don't know, maybe you're sitting here and you've never heard this message. That Jesus' condescension is for his glory and it's also for you. The fact that he was perfectly divine means that in his humiliation, he pays for all sin, your sin included. And all you have to do is accept. All you need to do is hear. And your life has changed. And if you've been in this church and, or been a Christian for a long time and you've heard this news a thousand times, amen. This is something we need to hear all the time, is it not? And maybe, you're, maybe you don't count yourself as part of the, you know, someone who's trusted in this news before. Uh, well, look at what it says at 10 and 11. This news is not just truth for people who know it's truth. It says every knee bows in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This is an all-inclusive truth. Everyone, everyone in this room, in Madison, throughout the world, will bow. This is not a live your truth, truth. This is the capital T, truth. Every knee bows. I need you to hear this today. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a bold claim. His name is above every name. When we, when we usually pray, and we'll say, like, in Jesus' name, let's, let's conjure memory of this, right? That this is the name that's above every name. So we've looked at Jesus' divinity. We've looked at Jesus' humility. And now this is the glory. And this it's amazing to me. And as, I, as, I've, as I've sort of mentioned, this is not news just about Jesus. Um, I have a, I, this, is, this applies to us. I have a life verse. James Davenport, I know, shared his life verse uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, my, my life verse is James 4.10. And it says, humble yourself before the Lord, and you will be exalted. So it's not just here in Jesus' life and his ministry and death. Humble yourself before the Lord, and you will be exalted. This is news for you, too. This is a call to humility among all of us. So how does that play out? Let's, let's transition to, to maybe how does this play out in our lives as we think about how does this divinity down to ultimate humility and to even utmost glory, how does this apply to our lives? Well, I think there's a few ways that I've been, there's lots of ways, <laughs> there's, uh, but I've been stewing on a few over the last uh, couple weeks that the first thing that we, we should look at is we let this mind be ours. We let this mind in Christ be ours. This mind is in Christ.
Christ. This mind isn't in our other identities. This mind, like, what, what are we letting our mind be shaped by is really a, a great way to think about this. What are we letting our mind be shaped by? Our minds are often shaped by uh, our other identities, like political affiliation, nationality, stance on issue A, stance on issue B, education, social class, what career you have, how successful you are. These, these are the things I think we let our mind be shaped by. It doesn't even mean let your mind be shaped by what church you go to. It means let your mind be shaped like that. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. And it says that Jesus didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the first thing is let our mind be shaped by Christ. The second one is maybe let's not try to grasp equality with God. Is anybody else that way? I'm, I, maybe I'm the only one in the room, and if so, let this be a James confesses to the church moment. I, all the time, try to grasp equality with God in my daily life. I want to know everything. I want to be in control of everything. I want ultimate comfort. I want people to bow down to me in some way. I want adulation. I don't want humility. But this scripture is calling us to have the mind of Christ and not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Another way I think we can apply this to our lives is, for many of you, include, and this is me, again, I will confess that I'm the chief among uh, sinners with like being unintentional. Being unintentional in how I let my mind be shaped. Is anybody else just going through life and you let your mind be shaped by whatever the podcast is that just came up on your phone? Whatever website you check for, for news, that's what you're letting your mind be shaped by. Whatever channel you watch, whatever, I mean, not that these are bad things. Like, this is, what are we letting our mind be shaped by? Are we being intentional with it? There's, there's a buzzword these days about being mindful, mindfulness. And mindfulness is actually a pretty good start with this, that we can be intentional with our thoughts. The goal of mindfulness is just be aware of your thoughts. And I, I think what we're being called to is have this mind among yourselves and be aware that it's yours in Christ. That our basis for mindfulness is having this mind of Christ. So let's not grasp equality with God. Let's let our mind be shaped by being intentional. And how do we do that? I mean, there... This is normal means of, of being a Christian. Christianity 100. Read your Bible. Pray. Spend time with believers. Be encouraged by those around you. These are the ways we can get to know God and let our mind be shaped. And, and I think if, as we take ourselves back to, to the, the intended response, the intended response of all of this, Jesus' divine humility means he gets the glory. The intended response out of us is that we're going to consider the interests of others. We're going to, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. Remember, that's Paul's whole case. Count others more significant than yourselves. And it, it's from a heart of knowing what Jesus did in his divine humility. And I think we witnessed Jesus' divine humility in this very church. And I'm inspired by it. I'm inspired by other people who act out of a spirit of humility and count others' interests greater than their own. 
I look at someone like, so be encouraged. I look at someone like Armala. I don't know if you're listening or here. Armala will spend time with the youth group in the basement, walking with middle school girls and teaching them about scripture and spending time. Like she opens up her doors to her home to show them what a life of following Christ looks like. That's humility out of a heart for Christ. I see someone like Scott Welch. And honestly, I don't see Scott Welch because he's always behind the scenes. <laughs> but Scott Welch will be here Saturday morning, Sunday morning, shoveling, scraping, salting, and doing who knows however many other things, including getting a dead raccoon out of the HVAC system earlier this fall. I don't want to forget that. Talk about counting others' interests greater than your own. So get a giant pole and scoop the raccoon out. That's, that's something. It, it, I, I mean, th- this is... This is inspires me, inspires me to, to see someone humble themselves. And I hope it inspires us too. This is, this is how we form a unified community. Laura Schultz, Laura Schultz cares for her family, cares for her adopted family, and spends hours caring for ideally a refugee family that, I, that Lord willing will be cared for by our church. This is humility, and I'm inspired by this. And I hope you are, too, that we see when we humbly serve, when we serve one another, and not just here in this room, but we serve our neighbors and nations. When we're inspired by Jesus' divine humility, he's going to get the glory from this, and we will be unified. And that further gives him glory. So consider, how can you humble yourself this week? How can you humble yourself in your workplace? How can you humble yourself and count others more significantly yourself in your in your small city group, in your neighborhood. Let God examine your heart. Consider how, you're, how you are letting yourself be, be humbled by what Jesus has done, and you can serve others with a goal towards humility. Let's, let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you are so good to present the scripture to us today. You are so good that you came divinely that you humbled yourself, ultimate humility, Lord, such that we, we have a hard time imagining and fathoming what it means that you were in the form of God and in the form of a servant. This is difficult for us to comprehend, difficult for us to understand. But Lord, you say that you place infinity in the man's heart in Ecclesiastes. Would you give us a heart to understand each day, further and further, what you've done in your infinitude, to humble yourself, to be highly exalted. And God, it's your name. Jesus, it's your name. You said, truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, you claim to be the I am. We confess it's true today. God, may we bow our knees. May we confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory. Amen.